Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Well, I'm back recording again from the 106Radio.com studios in Atlanta, Georgia, where excitement meets diversity 24-7. And I'm pleased to have a special guest um, talking about current events. Uh, he's a news analyst, Alton Keith, as we'll be discussing a story that happened recently involving a uh, fatal uh, shooting of a double amputee. Um, hey, Alton, how, how are you doing this uh, afternoon? Hey, how you doing, man? All right. Glad to have you on the show. Uh, I'm glad to be here, and uh, I hope everything's going good with you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Well, let me get into this uh, this uh, current event topic. Anthony Lowe Jr. Uh, was fatally shot by um, the Huntington Police Department on January 26th because the police thought he was a threat, quote-unquote a threat, due to... Um, the the fact that he had a, he was wearing a knife, uh, Lowe was seen jumping out of his wheelchair and running for his life on his uh, leg stumps. The reason his uh, his legs were amputated in the first place due to another altercation he had with police in Texas. The Huntington police officers claimed that they were in fear of their lives. Uh, there were claims that Lowe stabbed an individual, which is why the police were called at the scene. The Huntington police claimed that they tried to tase Lowe, but uh, weren't successful in doing so. Alton, what are your thoughts about this story? Well, I, uh, my thoughts on the story is just, well, let's 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 let's, uh, let's analyze the situation first mm-hmm. and foremost. Uh, the, the 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 man has already had a traumatic traumatic experience at first with him being in contact with the law um, and getting his legs amputated the first time. Mm-hmm. The situation with the police. With the, with the law. So that get that, that already gave him PSD in that in that perspective. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So he's already um, um, he's already had a, a serious encounter with with the law with law enforcement that has brought him into a situation where if he's probably around police, he's probably nervous, or if he's encountered by certain officers that remind him of what happened the first time, it makes him nervous. And then you have to think about it, he's an amputee. So he's in a wheelchair. So you got to defend yourself. You got to have some type of weapon or something to uh, keep people off you in case you know uh, somebody try to rob you or harm you or try to take something from you. We, we have to understand he, he can't. He's, he, he can't fight physically, but he can. But he can't run or move. He's not mobile. Right. So you also have to look at those situations too. Um, and I understand that we we have a problem in this country with police protocol. I've been I've been preaching about this for years. Um, I, I've had a run-in with um, cops in Atlanta twice with situations like that. Uh, the first time it was the Red Dogs um, when Shirley Franklin was sworn in. She came in, and, you know, during that time, during her administration, you know, when it, or any administration, when the mayor first come in to uh, her, um, to her uh, new job, they always do what you call a sweep. So the cops would sweep the streets and make sure everything is, you know, legit. And then um, it's almost like, you know, it's cleaning the corners, I call it. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I had an encounter with the with the with the red dogs and um, just for walking and uh, I was walking going to my friend house and they uh, jumped on me and they was asking for um, you know they just kept asking me where's the gun and where's the drugs I'm like you know and I had a walk at this time I had a walkman in my pocket so they, I guess they assumed it was a gun but if you look at it, it wasn't a gun but uh, the guy uh, it was two it was three white officers and one black officer black officer was the one driving mm-hmm. um, they threw me on the back of the car. They took my money and all my uh, belongings out of my pocket and threw it all over the back back of the car and it's got you know some of my money flew all over the street and everywhere, 
and um, they had me in this um, obscene position where they had my hands behind my back, but they had them up in the air while they were still behind my back. So um, I was trying to explain to the officer what did I do, you know, and um, the, the the officer that was next to me, which was a white officer, uh, he kept saying, you know, just shut up and, you know, just obey us and all this kind of stuff. And I'm looking at the black officer like, do you see what's going on? Are you going to, like, talk to your, your people or what's going on here? And uh, he just told me to calm down. He was looking at my ID, calm down with the Keith. It's just a routine check, all this kind of stuff. And um, I was explaining to him that um, what what did I do? So when I started spitting my laws and trying to tell him, you know, I didn't I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't jaywalk. I wasn't laudering because I just I'm just walking. And what's weird is I'm walking, but you proceeded to come in front of me. You drove your car in front of me to stop me and jumped out with guns drawn. So how am I in the wrong? Mm-hmm. I know it's a high drug area. I'm from I'm from a high drug area, but mm-hmm. I don't that don't mean I do drugs or I sell drugs. Mm-hmm. So that was the first encounter, which was bad. So I called their their um I called their captain on them and I got that straight. And the second encounter was um with this cop uh, named Officer Barr from Atlanta. He's an APD officer, Officer Barr. This guy's well known because he is a racist. He he's a, a well known racist on on the APD. Him and this other lady, I forgot her name. It was another officer, white officer. Um, I forgot her name. And this guy was just. He's super obscene. You know what I mean? I don't know if he still works or he's retired, but Officer Barr was horrible. That was, that was a, the worst encounter I've ever had with an officer in my life with him, my Officer Barr. I'll never forget that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I had a couple of encounters with black cops as well that was kind of like over the top. You know, mm-hmm. with, when Officer Barr encountered me, it was a black officer that came into the room, and he didn't even know what was going on, but he thought I was in the wrong because he just was, you know, it's just that blue line thing, you know, mm-hmm. which I can't stand. Um but with in 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 in, in uh, the guy case in Texas, you know, uh, of course he's defending himself. He's already under traumatic, uh, uh, traumatic, um, you know, he's already up under traumatic stress. Mm. So of course he's going to lash out what he, whatever he has. He doesn't know if he's going to lose his life uh, or lose another leg, or I mean, lose his arm, or get his leg hurt again, or get stabbed, I mean, shot, or tased, or die. You know, with cops now, you never know. Officers have taken protect and serve. And they've turned it into uh, non-protection and harm. You know, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's not it's 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 it's, it's very obscene. It's it's horrible, um, and it's like um, we we we. It's almost like we're against the police, and they're supposed to be the ones that are working for us. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So but let me let me let me um let me make this clear also though. Even though there are a lot of corrupt cops out there there's still a there there there's still a few good ones out there too i'm um, not mm-hmm, saying we're mm-hmm. not saying all cops are bad all cops are racist or whatever we're just saying them you know it seems like every time you turn on the news every time you see something on social media every time you see something on the internet is is involving uh-huh. a police shooting um and right. let's say in the case of mr Lowe here and with hunts and police you know he he's he's not here anymore they fairly shot him to death and if you look at the video right. footage, um, they were walking slowly as he was run, trying to run on his stump legs, and they shot him. Right. Dead. So the the right. whole thing was it was like an execution, basically. Um, it was a cowardly move. Yeah, exactly. It was a cowardly move, and I and I understand. I'm not saying all. I, I have a couple of cop friends that's that's, that's good cops, mm-hmm. like Officer Hakeem. That's that's one of my good friends from Philadelphia. He's he was APD. Mm-hmm. He used to come by my house and talk to me. I have a couple of cop friends that are Masonic like me, Masonic brothers I have. So, yeah, I'm not saying all of them, but I do, like, I, 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 I abide the law. 
I understand the law. See, it's a way you have to – see, the thing is you have to know, understand the history of the law first and understand how the cops work and how they were started. Mm. You know what I'm saying? How the police how police was even started. You understand what I'm saying? So even the cops don't even know the history of how their job was started. You know, I, I can encounter police and ask them the history of how their job started. They won't even know. They And then, like I said, with the protocols, they're not getting the proper protocols, proper training. Why would they run up on this man? He knows he's an amputee, and they want to shoot this man. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's not – you know, he's not – committing any harm to them he's trying to get away from them that lets you know he has traumatic he had a traumatic experience the first time he's trying to get away from these guys because he doesn't want to have that happen again and these are the things that happen when it comes to police officers they, they could restrain they could restrain them just put handcuffs on them or something they didn't have to you know but yeah yeah but they could they, they didn't really have to do that. they could have just talked to him calmly say hey hold on we're not trying to harm you we're mm. trying to you know we're trying to make sure you're okay it's the way you can do things man mm. it's always a way you can de-escalate a situation from getting out of hand even with the um, even with the George Floyd situation, that mm. could have been handled so differently, mm. man. Mm-hmm. Everything could have been handled differently. You know, you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Police, it, it's like, it's like police. They, they, they're, they're there to. Uh, it's like they almost like you can't obstruct the law. Police are actually here to help people. They're not here to shoot people. Right. That's just an alternate. That's just an alternate. Uh, an alternate um, tool used to help them in case it gets irate. Mm-hmm. You understand? But the gun is the last choice. The gun is not the first choice. See, that, mm-hmm. that's that's what they're getting it wrong at. They feel like, oh, I'm going to become a cop. When I get it, they're going to listen to me. I'm I'm bad. I'm a big, bad cop. I got to go out here and do what I got to do. I'm on the streets now. I run the streets. See, that's the mentality. That That's not the mentality to have. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Because you're still a citizen of the United States. You're still under constitutional laws. People have constitutional rights, and you're breaking them. That's the problem I have with the police. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I, 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 I feel that you don't have to always... I've had in good encounters with cops. Even in Cobb County, all these different places that say cops are bad. I've had the best encounters with cops in Cobb County ever. Mm-hmm. I know I've seen them do outrageous, outrageous things in Cobb County to people, tearing up their car, ripping out seats, looking for drugs, bringing K-9 units. But my encounters with them have been pretty cool. It's all how you talk to cops. all how you respond. It's, yes, it's, the, responsive, it's, it's the responsive um, answers and communication you have with a cop in order for things to not be escalated to the point where they're trying to kill you and harm you. It's always a way you can talk to people, man. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes you can't talk to cops because they probably had a bad day, and they mm-hmm. feel like, I'm just going to take it out on somebody because I'm upset. Mm-hmm. And that's that's when you have to take our, our alternative motives to figure out how you're going to elude that situation. Uh, but in the case of the man, the, 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 the guy in Texas, man, I feel bad. Um, it's going to keep going on, and it's not going to stop. Uh, until they go inside, see, it's like a nucleus. You got to go and like when you go to a, like go to a doctor. What's the first thing they do? They got to go and they got to diagnose the situation. They got to get to the bottom of where it started. You have to go into this police department and change protocol manuals. They have to do different training, restrictive training, um, mm-hmm. not the mm-hmm. harm. And and that's that's that, I don't mean to cut you off, but that's the whole meaning of defunding the police. When they when they when they say defunding the police, they get it twisted. They think they're talking about getting rid of the police department. No, they're talking about reconstructing how the police department is ran. Right. And people don't understand right. that. And Some I people agree. don't understand that. Right. And then it's, and I'm gonna tell you something deep. You got these small counties and small towns where everybody kind of know each other. There's probably like a hundred thousand people live there, two hundred thousand, probably less than that, hmm. and everybody know each other, right? So they hire these these cops that that families know each other, and they bring the family within the within the the the, the, the system, the the office. I mean, you know, the police system, mm-hmm. and they're running around that town doing things because they can get away with certain things too. 
Mm-hmm. But I'm not saying it's, it's I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But like even in, in this situation, you had cops that knew that neighbor from that neighborhood that knew that guy that had the um that, that was after with the the, the handicapped guy, Mr. Lowe. If you yeah. had cops that from his neighbor, yeah, Mr. Lowe. Mm-hmm. If you had cops that was there that knew that knew him and from that area, I bet you would have went different. You got to have cops from that area, man. Mm-hmm. That's all. That's what the whole Wayne Williams situation was about. Mm-hmm. Really, it was, mm-hmm. it was police. It was all about police precinct warring with each other. You know, because the the, the the people in the community on Bankhead didn't want white cops patrolling the area because they felt like there was a threat and kids were being missing. They thought the cops were still taking them and killing them and stuff. But, it, you know, all this KKK stuff, too, coming from Cobb County, there was a lot within that. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Right. So they used Wayne Williams as a coward, you know, to say that he was the one doing all this stuff. You know, it's just, it's, it, it was, it's, it's really about who they want to patrol in the streets at the time. You know, at, at during the during the eighties, and you know what I mean? Right. Because my brother, my brother's best friend, got caught up in that Milton, and we still ain't found him to this day. So it's been forty what forty five years, you know, and we still ain't found his man. So it's like, you know, it, I've been through that that whole you know cop you know cop uh, trial and era when they you know missing and murder children. That's in my neighborhood. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I know about how cops operate. I know how they operate. Even the younger cops and the new cops, I could tell a new cop when I first encountered him. He ain't been there in, in weeks or months. I didn't, encounter, I didn't encounter cops like this. And I went to court and got out of situations because I know the law where cops are wrong. I've done that as well. I yeah. can tell you plenty of stories on that. You understand? It's just all how you, you got to know the law, man. And they don't even know the law. You can ask them questions. They don't even know the law because they don't study. They just go to school. They go to this police academy to get in. Don't even care about the real protocols. They just want to hurry up and get a gun and a badge and mm-hmm. run the street. Mm-hmm. Seriously. Some mm-hmm. of them are like that. Some of them not. Some of them are. Mm-hmm. majority of them are. I can say 89% of them are. Like I said, some of them got an ill in- motive and an ill intention to hurt and harm because they've been through stuff in their life, and they can't help They family probably did them wrong. They friends at school probably did them wrong. So they're like, well, I'm going to be a cop, and I'm going I'm to show them. And, you know, it's all that kind of stuff, man. You got to look at all that kind of, all that background. That's yeah. why you got to do an extensive background check on these people. Make sure they good. Make sure they all right mentally. They got to see. They need mm-hmm. to see. They need to see psychologists mm-hmm. every so often. Every three, four weeks, they need a new protocol. That's all they need. That they could have apprehended that man. Say, hold on, bro. We're not trying to harm you. We're trying to put you back in chair and see what's going on. We're not trying to harm you. It's, it's all kind of, bro. It's all kind of ways you can de- de-escalate situation. That's all I'm saying. It's, yeah. it's not. It's not hard. You That's true. Saying? That's true. Well, um, thank you, uh, Alton, for uh, your thoughts and thanks for being on on this episode. I appreciate it. Yeah, man, anytime, man. Just hit me up, man. And if, um, if you want to um, get any more information, you know, um, or if you want to know any more information about what's going on, just hit me, man. Okay, sure will. All right. Well, thank we'll, all right, thank you. All right. Okay, moving on to uh, movie news and reviews. I have a uh, special guest. He's a movie commentator, Robert Webster. And today we'll be reviewing two movies, Creed Three and Luther, The Falling Sun. of the Creed uh, movie franchise series, which stars Michael B. Jordan, and he's making his uh, director's debut, uh, directing this film. And um, it basically uh, is a good, this one is a good one. It had a lot of emotional um, emotional uh, parts in it, and it was, it was very, um, 
he saw the he, more human side of, of Michael B. Jordan playing Donis Creed in this film. Um, the last two films were um, kind of uh, where Sylvester Long was in it, and and I talked about this on the, a few episodes back, uh, how when he came out, he was going to do production for Creed, where he wanted to go in a different direction, where Stallone wanted him to fight another one of his old nemesis, and uh, I guess one of his sons, like did in part two with Drago's son, but uh, Michael B. Jordan thought better of it. He wanted to go in a different direction, made it more uh, personal, a personal um, take on, on this particular film. So what are your thoughts about it, Robert? Um, I actually um, enjoyed the movie. It was, um, like I said, when uh, not knowing much about it, because to be honest with you, I actually just saw Creed three when I saw it. I've never seen any of the Creed series before. So when I did look at it, maybe go back and actually analyze each of them independently. You're right. He did. Um, he did want to. Um, Michael B. Jordan did want to go in a different direction than Sylvester Stallone. Right. And I'm glad he did <laughs> because it showed like the more of a human side of because uh, you know you didn't see the boxer you saw the dad you saw the husband the businessman you know he had all these things going for him and so much good he was actually doing for his community and not just for himself but his family and like I said his community so it was it was it was a great movie I think they um, despite what you read on the internet. Um, I, I, the, I think the movie did well. So so good. I actually watched it two times to make sure I didn't miss anything. So it was really, really good. I enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Oh, okay. All right. And then I could see uh, Angle where they, they, they might do a part four. And I see Angle with that. There are two ways they could go about doing that. Um, as you saw in part three, his daughter was interested in fighting. And that kind of reminds me of Layla Ali where she um, – you know, kind of take after where, you know, Muhammad Ali, of course, taking after mm-hmm. where dad bought for a little bit. Another direction I know is that he mentioned in the, he mentioned his stepbrother, stepsister in the movie to uh, briefly to Felicia Rashad, who, you know, that was a sad situation with her in the movie. Mm-hmm. That gets much of it away, but um, so he had mentioned his stepbrother, stepsister. If they, if, if they decide to do a part four, I was thinking leaning more toward they, those two, his stepbrother and stepsister to come after him for using the Creed name, and they have legal battle. And on top of that, just like in this last movie, Part Three, where uh, Diamond he had set Adonis up so he can get that title shot by uh, talk, you know, one of his uh, one of the guys that he served time with in prison, help him get that title shot. So uh, if they do a Part Four, it could be another angle where his stepbrother, stepsister, uh, you know, have another boxer to pull him once again out of retirement to fight him. So they try to embarrass him maybe in the ring and in the courtroom. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot of different angles that I saw, you know, in the film that they could probably possibly do a part for. Uh, it might be Jordan wants to continue with it, uh, or, you know, he just wants to let this be the last one. But, you know, if possible, they do a part for those who, two angles they can go in directional. Totally agree. Totally agree. Absolutely right. Yeah. And then the other film I want to talk about is Luther, and this is based on the um, the BBC TV series, uh, Luther, where Edris Elba playing the um, detective, John Luther, and he saw 
crimes in in uh in in the UK. And I I mentioned with another guest host um, a few episodes back we were talking about uh well we got it started I was talking about the James Bond films because the last James Bond movie had just came out at the time. And we were talking about Edris Elba, you know, he's in the running to play next James Bond. And I talked about it. He was like, well, you know, he don't think he could uh, play that role because, of course, you know, Edris Elba being African-American, and um, I was saying, well, in that case, you could probably capitalize on the, on the Luther character and uh, do films off of that. And so I guess maybe they heard that conversation now they have a movie about him on Netflix. <laughs> it's possible it's possible they can they could do a movie series like the James Bond films off of the Luther you know, off the Luther T series. And a lot of people probably don't know or don't remember, uh James Bond started out as a TV film. It was you know, I think they were trying to make a TV series out of it, but it just became a TV film and then eventually went to the theater later on. Mm-hmm. So um that's another uh Avenue that the Luther, you know, some call to a, a TV series to uh, motion picture films. So yeah, the, the, the movie was actually pretty good. It was about him solving an uh, old case that he didn't quite solve from the TV series, and then he went through a lot of things. He went to prison, and um, he was framed for doing something else he didn't do. And it, it was just uh, the one 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 scene I will say, which will probably catch your attention when you watch it, is the fight scene. It's a fight scene when he was in prison, and mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it was it was pretty intense. So, <laughs> so I you know encourage anybody who hasn't seen to check it out. It's you know available on Netflix right now. Oh, trust me, I just added that bad boy to my oh, list. Okay. Right, okay. <laughs> so I'm right behind you. All right. All right, well, that's all, that's all I have for this time. I appreciate uh, Wester, uh, Robert Wester, you being on the program today. Thanks for having And we'll have you back. We'll talk about, probably talk about the next movie, John Wick, part four. Yes, <laughs> yes. Bring it, bring it. Yeah. <laughs> all right, then. All right. The next time. Gotcha. This month, uh, my sports on and off the field topic, the Atlanta Braves announced on uh, April 3rd that they will um, honor a legendary outfitter, Andrew Jones. Uh, They will retire his um, number 25 jersey. Jones was a five-time All-Star and 10-time Gold Glove winner. He will be honored on September 9th at Truist Park before the Braves play against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Jones played 12 seasons of his 17-year career with the Atlanta Braves. During his tenure with the Braves, he became the youngest player to ever hit a home run in the postseason and just the second uh, player to uh, ever um, have a homer in his first two World Series at-bats. On personal note, I remember uh, when he played with uh, Chipper Jones during um, his time with the Braves. The pair were uh, nicknamed the Jones Boys. Together, they helped the Atlanta Braves win several um, National League championships. Um, so congratulations to Andrew Jones. Um, uh, that will, I'm sure that will be a great event on September 9th. And uh, wish him all the best. Now, 
I'm going to talk about earlier this month, we observed uh, Easter, Passover, and Holy Week. Now, I would be remiss if I haven't, if I didn't mention this. Um, we celebrate this as a reminder of the, of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. Hopefully, everybody listening will, ha- will ha- did have a good Easter celebration and enjoy themselves. Well, thanks to Alton Keith and Robert Wester for joining me on this episode. And thanks to the 106LiveRadio.com uh, family for allowing me to do my podcast today. And thanks to all my listeners for joining me on this episode. You can listen to me on the file streaming services, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Apple Podcasts, and Radio Public. You can also find me on WordPress at CouchTalkWithTheShineKnight.wordpress.com. Also look for me on Instagram at ShineKnight2020 as well as TikTok at ShineKnight22. And I'll be back on the 15th of the next month to talk about more topics. Until then, catch you later, my casters. Mm-hmm.